Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Where Change Begins. If you're a student, congratulations on surviving the semester. It was quite a challenge for many, I'm sure. I know it was for me. And while I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy, this whole year consumed by COVID-19 has highlighted the absolute vulnerability of many and society's general inability to support families that need it the most. And this pandemic has become a huge looming problem because its effects are going to be long-lasting. It's hard to think of anything but COVID-19 anymore. I mean, I don't remember life before it and I can't imagine life after it. And you might think of South Korea or New Zealand or Australia when I see that and think, well, it looks like things are back to normal out there. And you might expect the same to happen here. But the truth is that we can never really recover from the wide gaping hole that COVID-19 has caused and the way it's tested how weak our institutions really are during a time of crisis. It's no coincidence that during this pandemic, we've seen huge protests of racial inequality, rent strikes with millions now at risk of being homeless come New Year's Eve, and domestic violence protests across the world, and so many more protests for various reasons in Chile, Peru, Hong Kong, the UK, India, Philippines, Palestine, and the list goes on and on. And at the same time, America's 614 billionaires grew their net worths by a collective of $931 billion, which is more than what's being handed out to all Americans during this round of the stimulus package. So it's concerning for many reasons, but particularly because we're so ill-equipped to handle this pandemic, let alone the many more that are very likely to occur in the future. But more on that in another episode. During this episode, I'd like to talk about something that isn't on everyone's minds all the time. We don't say their names. There aren't widespread protests happening because of these deaths. And oftentimes, it's on their own lands that they are killed. I want to talk about environmental activists for a moment. There were a record number of 212 environmental activists that were killed in 2019. Colombia was the deadliest country for land rights activists in 2019, and a report found that 64 land rights activists were killed in Colombia last year, and that's up from 25 in 2018. Global Witness, the organization that wrote the report, also warned that the deal's figures are likely to be much higher because many cases were just not recorded. Another report from the Business and Human Rights Resource Center found that 44% of attacks from 2015 to 2019 connected to businesses in Colombia were against land defenders who raised concerns about five major companies, including one called Saragon. Now, Saragon is the largest open pit mine in Latin America, and it's run by a British-Swiss-Australian conglomerate. Many environmental defenders in Colombia fear threats and attacks and Members of the Wayu community in the desert province La Gujira are in long-standing disputes with Saragon over water use and pollution and health issues. Now, the one million people in the Wayu community were already battling with a malnutrition crisis before COVID. 
They were once able to grow their own crops on their own land, but now have to buy food, not to mention water because of the water pollution, and the struggle for safe and sufficient access to drinking water and irrigation defines life for the Bayou community. The children in this community also suffer higher rates of malnutrition and mortality than their non-Indigenous counterparts, and more than 85% of child malnutrition deaths in the province between 2014 and 2016 were of Indigenous children. Despite Bayous making up only 38% of the province's population, a dam built by the government to provide water in times of drought has made matters worse. It supplies rice and palm crops that are owned by private companies and no individual or community can draw water from it. But Saragon disputes the notion that it's even seriously affecting the tribe. And while the government... Um, defends the decisions that have compromised the Bayou's water access. It's pretty surprising to me that while researching this whole issue, I watched a video made by Saragon about how they're helping the local environment and lifting the local communities. And this is such a terrifying wheel to hide behind and throw money behind to deceive not only the country, but the shareholders and international bodies. And very decently, Sargon said in a statement that they tried to reach a preliminary agreement with the Vayu indigenous community to comply with environmental and health regulations and op- in its operations. And this, this agreement, Sargon said, included building a community health center and an environmental rehabilitation program, which included planting 250,000 trees and more measures that were ordered by Colombia's constitutional court, But the community leaders denied this was ever a discussion that was held with them. They said that it was pure propaganda and a lie meant to deceive shareholders and international bodies again. And while that's the story of Colombia, the Philippines has its own struggles that define what life is like for indigenous communities in it. So it's the second deadliest country for environmental activists with 43 recorded deaths in 2019. And in 2018, at least three people were killed on average every week trying to protect their lands and livelihoods from destructive industries like mining, logging, or agribusiness. Some were shot by the police and others were gunned down by hired assassins or private security forces. And many indigenous leaders were branded as statists and murdered. And the same thing is happening today with increasing frequency. In Brazil, where 24 people were killed in 2019, indigenous communities have warned that they are quote-unquote facing extinction in the pandemic, with leaders accusing the far-right president Jair Bolsonaro of taking advantage of COVID-19 to eliminate indigenous people. COVID only reached the indigenous people of Brazil through outsiders coming into their lands to explore possibilities to exploit resources. And during his run for presidency, Jair Bolsonaro said that he'd open up the Amazon to more commercial development like mining and large-scale farming. And he said, and I quote, where there's indigenous land, there's wealth underneath it. And if that doesn't shock you to your core, 
let me remind you that from January through August of 2019, there have been over 43,000 fires in the Amazon region, nearly all of which were man-made by land grabbers looking to clear land for profit. And there are many destructive industries trying to operate here, illicit ones like illegal logging, mining, and drug cultivation, and then the government ones like agribusiness, mining, projects like the Belo Sun, and other infrastructure projects like dams, roadways, and railways. And some 60% of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil plays a vital role in absorbing harmful CO2 that would otherwise escape into the atmosphere. And in the first seven months of 2020, more than 13,000 square feet kilometers of the forest burned away. That's more than eight times the size of London. And what's gone can really never be fully recovered. And Brazil's confirmed overall death toll from COVID-19 passes 188,000 people. But the virus is also skithing through the country's indigenous communities, killing chiefs, elders, and traditional healers, and raising fears that alongside the toll of human lives, the pandemic may inflict irreparable damage on tribal knowledge of history, culture, and natural medicine. Worldwide, indigenous people comprise of 5% of the world's population but their lands encompass 22% of its surface and are home to 80% of the planet's biodiversity. So we need to have a larger discussion about indigenous rights as we're discussing climate action, because without guaranteeing the former, we cannot have the latter. Many indigenous groups across the world also employ regenerative harvesting and perform land restoration. And according to the newest UN's IPCC report that is quote-unquote high agreement that indigenous knowledge is critical for adaptation. So it's crucial that as we attack this problem of climate change, we grow to recognize that indigenous people must lead the fight and that we do our best to protect and amplify their voices. And before I end this episode, I just wanted to mention three environmental activists that you could read up on and support in your own way. This list is not exhaustive. I encourage everybody to watch more videos about these issues. I know that there are many available for anybody that wants to know more in depth about what's going on in Philippines and Brazil and Colombia. And um, yeah, so first off, there's um, Jamie Margolin, who is a first-generation daughter of a Colombian immigrant and the co-founder of the climate action organization Zero R. And she's a queer Jewish Latina climate activist, and she's committed to advocating for the most vulnerable communities. And then there's Zaya Basida, who was born and raised in San Pedro Toltepec. I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, I'm pretty sure. But it's a town outside of Mexico City where heavy rainfall and flooding were the norm. And that gave her insight into how indigenous communities are impacted by rising temperatures and environmental degradation. And Bastida skips school every Friday to protest at the United Nations as part of the Fridays for Future initiative founded by Greta Thunberg. And Bastida says that it's 
vitally necessary to keep Indigenous people at the forefront of the climate conversation. And then there's someone you might have heard of, Ista Hirsi, who is the daughter of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and is also the co-executive director of the U.S. Youth Climate Strike. Hirsi has worked tirelessly, always facing harassment and security threats to spur youth and adults to take radical action on climate change. So yeah, those were a few examples of some young voices in the climate movement right now. And there are so many more that don't get the platform they deserve. Um, So many other countries that have their own issues going on. And I definitely encourage you to look into that a bit more if you're interested. And, you know, support them any way you can. I hope this episode was educational and informative. Thank you for tuning in and I will see you the next time.